Last week we went, the series is called Not Without Blood. Not Without Blood. And we've been looking at the golden lampstand. And last week we took the first part of the message on the golden lampstand. And this week, God willing, we'll finish it out. We talked about the lampstand and where it was located. That it was exactly opposite from the bread, the table of the presence of God. And how that lampstand illuminates the holy place. We talked about last week that there are three sources of light. Three sources of light in the tabernacle. The first was sunlight. Sunlight is in the courtyard. So when you walk in the tabernacle and enter from the one gate, the only gate you can enter in, symbolic of the fact that there's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus. And you enter into the gate and go to the brazen altar, which is a picture of the cross, where He would one day die and sacrifice for our sins. And then beyond the brazen altar, you go to the brazen labor, which is where the washing occurred before the priest could move on into the holy place. He'd have to go by there and wash. And we talked about the fact that that's symbolic of the Word of God, that the Word of God washes us and there's a constant need for cleansing in the life of a believer, not for relationship, because that's already been done, but for fellowship. That unconfessed sin in the life of a believer, habitual sin that God has revealed to us and convicted us of, if we continue to hold on to it and embrace it, doesn't erase our relationship, that's eternal, but it does hurt our fellowship. And so the brazen altar is a picture of that. And then, once you go beyond the brazen altar, you go into the holy place, and then on into the most holy place, where the Ark of the Covenant is. When we took the trip inside the holy place, we encountered on the right-hand side the table of the showbread, or the presence of God, which is symbolic of the body, the broken body of Jesus Christ. And we talked about the how that we celebrate at the Lord's table when we take the bread and we take the wine and with the juice and we drink that and we eat that bread it's symbolic of the broken sacrifice of Christ's body for our sins and the Bible says without the shedding of the blood there is no remission of sin and so believers who are in intimate fellowship with the Lord get to go into the holy place now if you want to wander around in the courtyard and just mess and gom in the courtyard and have a 40-year wilderness experience and just one lap around the wilderness after the other, we can live in rebellion uh, and, uh, in our Christian life and not really move in to the holy place, still die and go to heaven. But we'll never have the fullness of what Jesus Christ wants for us down here. And so to move into the holy place, we go by the bronze labor, we get cleansed at the bronze labor, and then we move on in. And we talked about that there are three sources of light in the tabernacle. And the light in the courtyard is the same light that the natural man receives outside the courtyard. So, the same sunlight, the same illumination that the natural man has is the same sunlight that shines on you in the tabernacle. That if we don't move on in into an intimate fellowship with the Lord, we can't see any better than a lost person can. That's in effect, that's in effect what that means. That we'll just grope around in darkness and we'll... We'll be led by our feelings. How many, Chris was alluding to that this morning in his testimony of the fact that sometimes we can feel this way and feel that way and maybe even feel a way that's contrary to what we know to be the truth. We've said this time and again, and those of you who've been journeying with us for a while can quote this. When your feelings do not line up with the truth, go with the truth. Go with the truth. Because it is often that your feelings don't line up with the truth. It's habitual. Courtyard believers are the ones who are driven by their emotions. They're only as good as the last experience they had. They've got to have something to trump up their weak faith. They don't want to move on in. They don't want to take God at His Word. What did, what did we sing this morning? 
Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Tis so sweet to take Him at His word. Just to rest upon His promises. Just to know what thus saith the Lord. What great words. And so when we move on into the courtyard, the sunlight that we get is the same natural man that we the same that the natural man gets in the courtyard. But then when we move on in, the holy place is lit up by the golden lampstand. Now that's what we talked about last week. That's a type or a picture of the Holy Spirit. The illuminating power of the Holy Spirit. When you walk in and you can see the table of the presence of God where the showbread is kept, and you can see the altar or the brazen altar, or the bronze uh, altar, or the golden altar with uh, the incense burning, which is God willing what we'll go over next week. And you'll be able to illuminate and see the activity of God. It is through the illumination of the Holy Spirit all that can be seen. Otherwise, it will be an incredibly dark experience. Because we talked about last week, that cutaway in the most holy place is covered up by four layers, heavy layers of covering. And we'll talk about the symbolism of those four layers, God willing, in, in a couple of weeks to come. But it would be a very dark place were it not for the golden lampstand. And we talked about the fact that the golden lampstand is the second the second source of light, and then the third one, hallelujah, Brother Chad, it's when you move on in beyond the veil to the most holy place. And guess what that's lit up by? The Shekinah glory, the presence of God Himself. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm just going to whet your appetite because we're going to get there. Hallelujah. All right. So we're in the golden, we're in the holy place right now. We're moving on in. The source of light. The source of light. And Spencer, if you'll put up a, a picture of the lampstand. He put up that last week and just to show you where it's positioned. Again, where the red arrow is right there is where the lampstand is. You'll see that right across from it is the table of the showbread. And then just to the right as you move toward the most holy place is the golden altar. The altar of incense. And oh my goodness, just wait till we get a hold of that one. Hallelujah. But anyhow, the lampstand there. The source of light is that lampstand. Can I tell you this? Can we just say this to you? Will you look at Revelation chapter 21? It's just so perfect. The music worship we sang this morning fits with this so well. You are beautiful, radiant, and holy. And the, the stars and the sun that shine are no comparison to the illumination of that is our God. Not that He gives illumination, but He is illumination. Look at Revelation chapter 21, verses 22 and 23. My children and I were talking about this around the around the uh, lunch table the other day. Look what it says here. The New Jerusalem, heaven. Oh my goodness. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The, ci the city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. Amen. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. The man who follows me will not walk in darkness, but he'll have the light of life. Jesus doesn't give life. Jesus is life. Hallelujah. Then we look at the source of the light. We look at the candle and you'll see that there are branches that reach out on either side of it from, from it. Six on one, uh, three on one side and three on the other. That is called the menorah. The menorah. Okay. That word Menorah actually uh, means a light bearer. That's what that word means, a light bearer. And when we look at the menorah, I want you to take a look 
at just how perfect God's Word is and what it says about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. If you'll go to Revelation chapter 1, verse 4, take a left-hand turn. Let's go to Revelation 1, 4. We're going to see There are 404 verses in the book of Revelation. And out of the 404 verses of the book of Revelation, 274 of them come from the Old Testament. Which means that 68%, 68% of the book of Revelation is a quotation from the Old Testament. And so before you can ever know the book of Revelation, and it's never going to be a, 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 a it's only going to be a confusing book for you until we study the Old Testament. And they're merged together. And in here, look at Revelation chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 4. Are you ready? It says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Seven spirits who are before his throne. Now that's the Holy Spirit. But why does it say seven spirits are before his throne? Well, we have to look to the Old Testament to see. Look at Isaiah chapter 11. Take a long, wide, left-hand turn. Go to Isaiah chapter 11. We're going to look at verse 1. Now, you remember we said that the, the, uh, that the uh, lamp is positioned across the street, across the way, from the showbread, because the ministry of the Holy Spirit, according to Jesus' own words in John, the Gospel of John, is to testify. He said, when the Holy Spirit is sent, He will testify of me. It is through the witness of the Holy Spirit that the Son is known. Everything that you accurately believe today about the Jesus Christ, everything you embrace about His Lordship, about His humanity, about the promises, about Him being the Messiah, every bit of that's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Every bit of it. You and I can't take credit for any of it. Hallelujah. Or to elevate our worship at and so look, here's what it says here. It says the Spirit, this is talking about uh, uh, Jesus. It says, let's go to verse 1. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, the son of David, Jesse, father of David. And a branch, and that branch is a capital B, that refers to Jesus, shall grow out of its roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, watch this, the Spirit of wisdom, and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Every bit of that refers to the Holy Spirit. Now, the, the main part of the lampstand that goes straight up, that's elevated slightly above the branches right there in the middle, is the Holy Spirit Himself. A branch on one side is, in verse 2, the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of understanding. That's branch 1 and 2. The next branch, the spirit of counsel and the spirit of might. That's branch two and uh, 3 and 4. And then, to round it out, the spirit of knowledge, branch 5. And branch 6, the spirit of the, of, the, of the fear of the Lord. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. When a believer is filled with the Holy Spirit, can I say this parenthetically? We've talked about this and there's much confusion in the body of Christ. So listen up about this if you will. We talked about this last week. There is only one indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But there are many fillings. Okay, the Holy Spirit indwells a believer at the moment of belief. When you repented toward God and put faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit made a habitation within your heart. Aren't you grateful? 
And he came in to abide and dwell there. And the Bible says, Don't be drunk with wine wherein is excess or dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Once you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, there are many feelings. And what that word feeling means simply is be controlled by. And as we let go of ourselves and our agenda and what we think is right and begin to submit to the Word of God and apply it to our lives, like Chris, you were talking about this morning, not just know it, but apply it, the Holy Spirit begins to wield more and more control in my life. It's more and more Him and less and less of me. He must increase. And how does He increase? By me decreasing. I can't increase and Him increase at the same time. They're mutually exclusive. Either I'm increasing and He's decreasing as far as power in my life, or I'm decreasing and He's increasing, one or the other. So let's get that straight. Being filled with the Holy Spirit means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. There are many of those on the Christian journey. But being dwelt by the Holy Spirit, hallelujah, that's one time for a believer upon belief. And here's what we, here's what we can draw from. This is what we can walk and live in. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can have God's wisdom and understanding regarding any situation we face. The Bible says we have the mind of Christ. We can stop thinking puny. And we can start thinking eternal. Because we have the mind of Christ and the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit to quicken that mind, to awake it to spiritual truth. We can see what cannot be seen. We can gaze into the eternal. We can see the activity of God. We can have what? Counsel and might. We can have counsel not only to understand God's Word, not only to have wisdom from God's Word, but we can have counsel of how to apply it for any given situation and the strength with which to apply it. The ministry of the Holy Spirit, it, it can be, He can be summed up as this, holy living and service. God is the fulfillment of everything He asks of you. He not only requires things of a believer to walk in the Spirit, but He makes the provision with which to walk in it. He'll never ask you. He doesn't expect you to do anything. He expects you and I to trust Him to do it through us. There's power for daily living through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we can expect counsel. We can expect the power to live out what He says. We can expect knowledge. Knowledge of the Holy One. To be able to know that the character and nature of our God. I'm going to give this example again, and I've given it before, but please forgive me. I'm having a birthday this week, and I'm getting older. Not this week, but two or three weeks, something. I don't know how old I'm going to be. But let me just tell you this. When you get older, you start repeating yourself. Here's what happened. Years ago, I went to a Bible conference, and Brother Adrian Rogers was there, and he was preaching on faith. You'll know the example. I just think it's beautiful. And somebody came up to his church one time after he had been preaching, and it was in a tongue-in-cheek fashion. And he said, Brother Adrian, here you are traveling all over the world, preaching in every nook and cranny, and you're just constantly engaged. You're doing conferences, seminars, whatnot, and you've got this beautiful wife that you leave at home by herself. He said, you must be a man of great faith. He said, Brother, I'm not a man of great faith. You just don't know my wife. Oh, that's it. That's it. His principle was this. My confidence in my wife's fidelity has nothing to do with me, but has everything to do with what I know to be in her. That's what faith is. Faith does not reflect or glorify the one who expresses it, and it reflects and glorifies the one to whom it is expressed. And knowing God is what creates great faith. See, when you have knowledge of Him, and then you begin to fear Him, to fear Him is to know Him, and to know Him is to fear Him. 
begin to reverence Him as God, that's what the ministry of the Holy Spirit produces. If you ever see anybody who has reverential fear for God, don't credit them for that. Credit the Holy Spirit who lives within them. Amen. It's the object. We take the time to get to know Him. That's when faith increases. Faith is a gift in the first place. And to grow in faith is to grow in the knowledge of who He is. Why can I trust God in the middle of when things go and counter to my hope, contrary to hope as Abraham trusted Him? Why can I trust God? You know why? Because I know God's trustworthy. Let me tell you something about Him. He hung the stars in the sky. He's got everything figured out. He's the one who wants, the one who is, the one who is to come. God is trustworthy. God's in charge of contrary wind. Jesus sent out the disciples on the boat and the wind started trumping up. He sent them into that storm. He's the one that created the storm. When He said, peace be still, shh, Lake Placid. Can you imagine what it must have been like to be in that boat and everything is all of a sudden goes, whoa, like that and say, man, that's bad to the bone. I've never seen anybody control the wind. And they got terrified then. The Bible scares says they were more terrified after He did that than they were of the wind and the rain that was trumping up before He did it. He's God. He's trustworthy. You're standing on a rock if you trust in Him. Amen? So this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is why the branches are the way they're formed is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's look at the significance here. We talked about the fact that that is not a candelabra. Those are not candles placed up there. Right? It's olive oil. Olive oil placed in there and that's where the illumination comes from. Oil in the Scriptures is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Empowered by Him. Illuminated by Him. The only sight that you and I will ever have is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the catalyst for that is His Word. If you start somewhere else, you'll be misled. Start at His Word. Don't let your experiences confirm the truth. Let the truth confirm your experiences. I can't say that again. Because I'll mess it up. Don't let your experiences confirm the Word. Let your Word confirm your experiences. God's Word. And so this is, this is the light of the Holy Spirit. The world is in darkness, groping around in darkness. Don't you feel sorry for lost people around you? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about the fact that they're groping in darkness and they make poor decisions? We make poor decisions. As believers, we make sinful, rebellious decisions. But you know what? Lost people act lost. And when you're groping around in darkness, one direction looks just as good as the other. We have no excuse. We have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Now here's what I want to zone in on her this morning. We, went, we did all of that to get right here. Will you look with me? Will you look with me in Hebrews chapter 5? Hebrews chapter 5. And we're going to begin in verse 12. As you know, the book of Hebrews was written to Hebrew believers to encourage them to quit acting like Hebrews. Don't go back. Don't go back. Don't retreat back to your same works-based system. Move on. Move on. As a matter of fact, all that truth was written before was written to point to Jesus Christ. Embrace it. 
move from there. Build a foundation from there. But don't go messing and gomming with whether or not you believe it or not. Believe it and move on. Believe it and move on. Now I want you to listen to this carefully. We're going to read these verses. This is a curious part of Scripture. And to be honest with you, in the New Testament, if you're going to stump your toes, scripturally speaking, you're going to do it in one of three places. You're probably going to do it in Matthew. You're probably going to do it in Acts. And you're probably going to do it in Hebrews. There's probably more controversy in the New Testament church around those three books than probably any other rest of them combined. And so here's a text that gets somewhat controversial. But we're not going to go there right now. It's not because we're afraid to. But if we're going to go there, we'll go there later. But it has it's, it's not germane, and that doesn't mean Bruce, to what we're doing right now. But look at this. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. Now look what he says. Remember, written to Hebrew converts, Hebrew Christians, to encourage them to move forward and don't retreat back. Alright, here we go. For though by this time you are to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. That word oracle means the whole counsel of God. That's what it means. Alright? And you have become to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. All right, now, hold on just a second. There's, there's a break in our Bibles here, but it wasn't written with the break in there. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. That word means maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Have you ever read that and just went, what does that mean? In part, in part, in the context of the tabernacle, let me share this with you. What that means is, don't just reflect on what God and Jesus has done, but move on to the place of understanding of what He's currently doing. That's what that means. Did you hear that? Listen, hang on now. Don't, 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 don't throw me under the bus for saying that we don't that we move on and somehow that we neglect. That's not what Paul's saying here. Paul. Well, not, some people say it, Paul. I'm so used to saying that. It might not have been him. This is what Jesus is saying through somebody. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again. Let us go on to perfection and not laying again a, re, a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. Repentance from dead works, trying to get, ain't, ain't, gain God's favor, trying to obey the law in order to make us acceptable before Him, to repent. No, Christ has made you acceptable before God. I'm acceptable before God as a Christian through the merits of Christ, Ashley, not through mine. Amen? That's a done, finished work. It doesn't say we move beyond that work. It says build on that foundation of that work. But let me tell you something. You reflect only, only so much so as you don't just stop at what He has done, but you're connected with the Holy God in an intimate walk and fellowship to where you can discern what He's currently doing. That's what that means. How does that happen? 
through the illumination of the Holy Spirit. We as Christians are fodder for the enemy because we have a good verse on what God has done. But because of the way we're walking, we cannot see what He's currently doing. See, the activity of God around us, how He's speaking, how is He moving in this situation. God, would You transfigure Yourself and let me see You in this. Let me see Your activity. Let me see Your power. Let me plug into what You're doing rather than asking You to do what You'll never do. And that is to condescend and plug into what I'm doing. You know what we do in the Christian life? We initiate things and expect God to bless it. When God is only bound to and only will bless that which He initiates. We don't wait. We get ahead. We think our thoughts and our ideas are superior to His. We say, oh Lord, I'm going to do this. And by the way, you're bound to bless it because it was in your name. Really? Really? You know why we're confused in our witnessing? You know why we miss Him a country mile? It's because we're walking around in the courtyard and we're absent light. We've got the same light that the natural man has. We can't discern where he's working by reason of use. We've not taken the Word and applied it to our lives. We've not taken Him seriously. We're not walking in the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit and we can no longer see where He's working. To be able to see His activity, look how Jesus said it. Look at John chapter 5. Look at John chapter 5. Verse 19 through 21. This is the way Jesus lived on earth. He was holy God, W H O L L Y, and holy man. His humanity depended completely on his divinity, and his divinity was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he spent time with the Father. He was on His knees. He was in communion. He was in the most holy place when He was interacting and walking on this earth. And He knew perfectly what God's will was. He knew when He went into a village, you know what? We're supposed to go over here. Why am I going over there? You're supposed to go over there. Lazarus is sick. We get word of it. We're going to wait. Why are we going to wait? He's going to die. Sure He's going to die. Already got a word about that. He's going to die. But there's a plan. He's going to live. I'm going to purposely delay the trip because I'm getting ready to show you something about my God and about who I am that you're not going to see any other way. I'm getting ready to fulfill everything that's in John chapter 11. Just wait. How do you know to do all that? What do we do? We rush. Oh man, I've got to help God out. We've got to get fixed. God's up in heaven, wrenching His hands with a furrowed brow, wondering when I'm going to come through for Him. Look what He said about His activity, friends. Look at this. John chapter 5, verse 19. Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself, His humanity, but what He sees the Father do. For whatever He does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all things that He Himself does, and He will show Him greater works than these, but that you may mark. And the Lord Jesus is saying this. Here's the deal. I'm tight with the Lord. I'm tight with the Father. And He loves me. And I love Him. And based on that love relationship and the devotion I have and the, and the loyalty I have toward Him, He shows me what He's doing. And I get to see in the heavenlies how God's working in front of me. 
And by getting to see what he's doing, all I do is plug into what he's doing because I can see it. And when I do that, what do I get? I get his results. I get his power. I get his enablement. I get him. That's what's typified by the lampstand. A believer who walks in is not just anchored about not just anchored in what Jesus has done. As a matter of fact, that's the catalyst. That's the that's the that's the um, that's the uh, that's what gets it started. But when I know what he's done and I meditate on what he's done, a believer who has walked from the courtyard into the holy place can see what he's currently doing. And to see what he's currently doing is to be able to really see. How else can you process setbacks? How else can you process things that don't go according to your plan? Well, God, now wait a minute. This didn't turn out the way I thought it was going to turn out. I had it all mapped out. I've latched on to some promises from you. I've, I've heard from you. I'm trying to follow you. And things have kind of taken a turn, what, if I believe, for the worse. Well, for a courtyard believer, he gets natural light. But for a believer who moves in, he gets illumination power from the Holy Spirit. He gets to see where God's working and continues to walk in that kind of power. That's what that means. Oh, would we be believers who move in. What's the prerequisite? Well, he gave it to us in Hebrews chapter 5. Let's go back over there. Look at Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. How do you become a full age? How do you grow on and, and, and mature? Listen. Hey, y'all, listen to this. The, the, activity in, in, in the activity in Hebrews chapter 6 refers to the tabernacle. Look at, look at what it says right here. I'll go to five in a minute. I'm sorry, I'm skipping around. Look what it says. Therefore, let it, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms. You know what that is? What's the doctrine of baptisms? What does it typify, you think? Labor. The washing at the labor. Baptisms, okay? Of laying on of hands. What do you think, that, what do you think that's typical of? We ain't gone over that yet. What they do with the sacrificial lamb and the goat? They got ready to kill him. He put his hands on him. He laid his hands on his head. On Yom Kippur, the one day, the day of atonement, when they took the scapegoat and the goat they were going to sacrifice, you know what he did? The priest took his hands and put them on top of that goat. Symbolic of, of, of laying the sins of the people onto the sacrifice and the substitute. That's what he's talking about right there. He said, let's move on. Let's move on. Let's move on. There's a foundation being laid. Do it in remembrance of me. Don't forget, but let's move on. Let that be the activity to be the catalyst of moving on. Are you hungry? How hungry are you? If you're hungry for me, I will fill you. Come to me who are labor and heavy laden. And what will I do? I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. What does that mean? Operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. Operate in my strength. Then you can forgive whatever's done to you. Then you can love when there's no good reason to love. Then you can have confidence when there's no reason to have confidence. Then you can have joy when there's nothing but sorrow around you. That's the right of a Christian. That's who we are. That's your inheritance. Christian believing for. Look what he says right here. What does he say? And then we'll close. 
It says here's how to do it. Verse 13. Everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Care to think? Using our example, using our example of courtyard versus who do you think a courtyard believer is? He's unskilled in the word. He's drinking milk. He's a babe. Right? And he's operating by natural light. The decisions that a courtyard believer make are no better than the decisions a pagan makes. At least they're not based on any greater light. They're not. That's why we have a major problem in this country. That's why in the church in America, that's why Jesus said, I'd rather you be hot or cold rather than lukewarm because it makes me want to spew you out of my mouth. You know why? Because believers who are in the courtyard confuse everybody around them. Everybody around them is confused by courtyard believers. Wait a minute. You say this, but hold on. Hold on just a second. You, you, wait. Hold, let's see. Okay. Pick a team. Slap on a jersey. <laughs> slap on a jersey. Identify yourself. Make a choice. He said, you're a babe. Wandering around the courtyard. Operating by natural light. Making decisions based on no greater, greater revelation than a that a carnal man has. But what does solid food belong to? Those who are of full age. That is. Here's how simple it is. And the simplicity of it is what will trip you up. Who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. See? By reason of use. You can't use that what you don't pick up. You can't apply that you don't that which you don't bother to even investigate. Did you hear it? You can't apply that which you don't bother to investigate. And guess what? A courtyard believer can do nothing but with the people that are around you and you're responsible for except lead you around in the courtyard. Dad, I'm gonna tell you something. You and I, because I'm a dad too, we better start, we better cease from courtyard living. Because we've got a wife and we've got children that we're responsible for and others that we're leading to Christ and try to disciple and invest in. And I've got to tell you one thing. The only, the only place a believer who's wandering around the wilderness can lead somebody else is another lap around the wilderness. You cannot lead somebody spiritually to a place that you've not yet went. By reason of use, by application, what do you do? You become you become mature. You become a perfect believer. That means that means complete. It doesn't mean perfect in the sense that we've arrived, but it means complete. And what what can we look forward to? What natural light? Is that courtyard light? No, 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 no. The holy light to be able to what discern between good and evil. Several months ago, I was investigating some things that were, had everything to do with the ministry we were involved in. And there were some things, some influences I, were, I was looking into and trying to look about where they came from and just trying to do a, just trying to be a watchman on the wall is my responsibility as a pastor. That's one of your responsibilities as a pastor. Pastor Dave and I is to watch on the wall, make sure that whatever gets in this church is of the Lord, doctrinally speaking, teaching, 
whatever is advanced from our teaching and from this pulpit and our other platforms, that it's accurate. It's from the Word of God. And I was watching a prominent uh, television um, ministry, the rising from a church. It comes from a church. If I named it, you'd immediately recognize it. And there was somebody that I have great respect for who occupied the pulpit of this church. And that a church is an apostate church. It just flat is. What comes from that pulpit is error. It's a false teacher. And the only reason I can imagine somebody who's right in line to ever get an opportunity to occupy that pulpit would be to renounce what's taught there. In other words, that'd be the first. There'd be two times that you'd be able to get in the pulpit, first and last, because you'd have to rebuke what was taught there. And there was a guy standing in that pulpit I had high regard for, who's a who's a real intellectual giant in Christian thinking, a great apologist, one of those type guys who could talk for an hour and a half, and you go, you know what? I don't understand a word he said, but it sure did sound impressive. Admit it, you've done that. We just say, go, yes, oh, yes, well, that's really wonderful. You know, and then you go, what did he say? And, uh, and I'm telling you right now, I'm sitting down there, Michael, in my basement, and uh, just looking on the computer, and the God himself just spoke to me. I, I don't say that flippantly. I, I, you, know, you know what I mean? I use that very guarded. But I'm telling you right now, the Lord just spoke to me. And I was watching it because it broke my heart to see that guy on that broadcast. Because once he got behind the pulpit, in my view, he endorsed everything that comes from it. And he confused me. And if you confuse me, I bet you I'm not the only one he confused. When I heard him and I saw him up on that pulpit, here's what the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, son, discernment is not a gift of the intellect. It's a gift of my spirit. See, this guy's got a giant brain. I mean, a giant brain. I'm going to tell you something right now. A giant brain can't guard you from being deceived. Only the Holy Spirit can. And a little child can understand if they're filled with the Holy Spirit the difference between good and evil. Most of what we got running in this country right now are ed educated fools. And they can't see any further than the hand in front of them. And they might be educated. But I'm going to tell you something right now. If you build God out of something, you're a fool. And we need some discernment. And we need especially some dads who could get a hold of the throne because they have access to it. They've washed at the labor. They've washed their hands in the Word of God. And by reason of use, they have been able to discern between good and evil. And when you have a situation in your home, when you have a situation with your children, and you have a situation with your church, you can be ready and poised and say, I know where God's working here. I can hear His voice. I can discern what He's saying. We're going to plug in on what He's doing Care little else what anybody else is doing. As for me and my house, as for me and my church, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. And that's a gift of the Holy Spirit. And there's not a one of you in here, me either, that can conjure that up or intellectualize that or reproduce that. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit and it is not reserved for courtyard believers. You got a decision to make this morning. You have heard the truth. He said, you know what? The tabernacle was not a... The, the tabernacle is to get you in. The tabernacle journey is a journey. Don't stop along the way. Move in. Move in to the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit. To those who by reason of use, by understanding what it says, seeing it illustrated throughout the Scriptures and apply it, are able to discern between good and evil. That will get you out of the courtyard. 
and you can live the kind of life he intended you to live all along.